If you have your Bibles, guess where I'm going to ask you to turn with me? Come on, y'all been paying attention, amen. Yes, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, where are we going to be in? We've got a few more weeks. There's 13 chapters. I'm going chapter, uh, taking them a chapter at a time, so that puts us at four more chapters after this week, uh, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Yep, and so we'll, um, we're going to continue on in, in Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 9 is where we're going to be at, beginning in verse 1. Just to, again, if you've missed any of these um, messages, again, at this point, over two months, I'm not going to recap all of them, so if you missed it, encourage you to go catch up online. Go to our app, our website, podcast, YouTube, any one of those platforms, Vimeo, and you can catch up on, on any of these. Uh, but in chapter 7, a couple of weeks ago, we saw how Jesus revealed uh, he was revealed as our eternal high priest. And then in chapter 8, we saw him seated on the throne of heaven in his twofold work. This was that he is the high priest in the sanctuary in heaven, and he is the mediator of the covenant uh, with his church here on earth. I see my wife fan herself. It's like old school church, right? You got to fan yourself during, during, during church. So uh, uh, today in chapter 9, we're going to talk about the power of the blood Jesus willingly and freely gave and the extravagant provision that we gain from it. Amen. Come on, y'all are not ex- as excited about the blood of Jesus, I guess, as I am. I, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked, and this, even this morning in worship, both worship sets were, were awesome. But just even studying about the blood of Jesus and preaching it is just so, so uh, awesome and, and powerful. You know, the word blood is mentioned 12 times in this one chapter. The emphasis on, and it wasn't all about Jesus' blood, but a lot of it was, but the emphasis, and we're going to see about that. So today, I'm going to show you four main things in this chapter that Jesus provided for us through his powerful and precious blood. Amen? So let's continue. I'm going to break up this chapter into four sections. Let's read the first one. Hebrews 9, 1 through 10 says this. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that, in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, a sacred and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain or a veil. Some translations say veil. And behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched over the, out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. Let me pause and say, even the writer said we won't explain these things in detail. I'm not going to go over all of this in detail today either. I'm going to go over some of it when he hits on, and I'll show you later. A lot of chapter 9 we've dived into, spent whole weeks, individual weeks on. So there's four main things. So just as the writer's not spending detail, I'm not going to get into all the detail of this as well, but we're going to go over some of it. All right, let's continue. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people. The people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. This is an illustrating pointing to the present time. You remember, let me pause. We've looked at the words 
uh, these are shadows, right? This is patterns, copies, and now illustrations. This whole, this whole time, the writer of Hebrews is telling these new Hebrew Christians, all these things, all these Jewish regulations were pointing to the present time when Christ came, died, was buried, rose, and ascended into heaven. So just another, another uh, mention of that. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. Remember that. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established, which we are under the better system, which is known as the new covenant. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence here today, your power. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, again, our, your guidance in, in our lives. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for the blood. Thank you for your precious and powerful blood, Lord. And thank you for the opportunity and privilege that I get to preach about your blood this morning. Help me, Holy Ghost, as I, as I, I preach to, today. Help us all to receive and give us the grace to apply it to our lives. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The writer listed the various parts and furnishings of the tabernacle because each of these carried a spiritual meaning. They were, again, they were patterns of the things in heaven, right? Or, or, or copies of what, what's, what's really going on in heaven. So here's a general picture of the tabernacle. A lot of you have seen this before, different uh, variations of it. And so, again... Um, you can see uh, the, in this picture the outer court. He doesn't mention anything about the outer court of the tabernacle in Hebrews 9. I'll just uh, point to it quickly. The altar, of course, is where they did burnt offerings at. And then the bronze uh, laver is where it was a wash basin that after the priest would sacrifice animals, they would wash their hands before going into the first room, which was called the holy place. So let's look at that. Verse 2 says there were two rooms. The first was called the holy place. The second was the most holy are the holy of holies. Both of these had their own furnishings, and each piece of furniture had its own special meaning. In the holy place stood uh, uh, the seven-branched lampstand. The light was produced by the burning of wicks and oil. So some translations say candlesticks, but that's not an accurate. Lampstand is a more accurate translation because it wasn't actual candles they were burning. It was wicks and oil. Since there were no windows in the tabernacle, this lampstand provided the necessary light for the priest to minister in the holy place. Here's the application for the nation of Israel. They were supposed to be the light to other nations. For us, John 8, 12 tells us that Jesus is the light of the world, right? And that also we are to be lights in the world, whether we're here in our city or those going to uh, Costa Rica, to Iraq, to Cuba, to everywhere uh, beyond and in between. Amen. There was also in the holy place, as you see, the 12 loaves of bread on it. It was called the table of showbread. Each Sabbath, the priest would remove the old loaves and put fresh loaves on the table and the old loaves would be eaten. These loaves are called the bread of presents and the table was called the table of presents. Only the priests could eat this bread, and they were required to eat it in the sanctuary. They were required to eat it right there in the holy place. It reminded the 12 tribes of Israel of God's presence that sustained them. And for us today, it also speaks of Jesus Christ as the bread of life, which is mentioned in John chapter 6, right? He says that he is the bread of life. Next, we have the golden altar of incense. And it stood also in the holy place just in front of the veil that divided these two parts of the tabernacle. The incense altar 
was actually not in the Holy of Holies. Now, I know the writer here, actually, I just caught this reading it and studying it this week. The writer of Hebrews actually puts the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies, but it's not. According to uh, is uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse 6, write that down, go read it yourself. Exodus 36, and every diagram you're going to find shows that the altar of incense was actually in front of the veil. Now, why did the writer say that? Well, uh, the, most people believe, and, and, and what I read is the reason he said that is because the ministry of the incense altar pertained to the Holy of Holies. See, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would use the coals that were from the incense altar, and he would use those to burn incense at the mercy seat on the uh, Ark of the Covenant once a year. And then in Exodus 45, Moses relates the incense altar to the Ark of the Covenant and also the writer of 1 King does as well. So anyway, so those are the kind of things that people try to use to trip you up. Look, the Bible contradicts itself. It really doesn't. Amen? That's why he was saying that, I believe, it's because it has a very close, parts of the incense altar would go into the Holy of Holy, but you see it on that diagram is accurate. If you Google it, trust me, every diagram is going to look like this in some shape or form. And again, we find it actually Exodus uh, 30 and 6 will show you that specifically. So every morning and evening, the priest burned incense on this altar. This is also a great picture. In Psalm 141, King David suggests that this is a picture of our prayer ascending to God. And it's, it's a beautiful picture because, again, every morning and in the evening, we should start our day and close our day with, with praying, right, or giving praise to the Lord. And for us, it's also a reminder, as we looked at in previous weeks, that Jesus Christ as our great high priest in heaven is interceding for us. Amen? So there was a, it was a, a picture, it was a symbol for them in the old covenant, but also pointing to us in the new. And then, of course, the most important part, the holy of holies are the most holy place. Only the Ark of the Covenant was in there. This is a wooden chest. Covered in gold that was three feet by nine inches long, two feet by three inches wide, and two feet by three inches high. On the top of this chest was a beautiful mercy seat made of gold, which had a cherubim on each end uh, with its wings uh, covering. This is where the presence of God would reside in the tabernacle. See, once again, once a, a year on the Day of Atonement, the blood of an animal was sprinkled on the mercy seat to cover the tablets of the law. That was in the ark. Remember inside the ark, he says, there was the law. There was Aaron's a rod that budded uh, with, with, with leaves or flowers and then a jar of manna. So check this out. Whenever the high priest would go in there once a year and he would sprinkle that blood on the, on the law, on the book of the law, God no longer saw the broken law. What he saw was the blood. So what is that uh, picture of today? Whenever Jesus sees us as born-again believers, when he looks down, he don't see our sin and mistakes. He sees the blood of Jesus. Amen? Which leads us to the first uh, uh, provision that I want to look at today. Four powerful provisions from Christ's blood. Number one, and out of all this tabernacle, the most important thing, and I believe that the right of Hebrews is pointing to, is number one, we have access into God's presence now. We have access into God's presence. Let's read verses 6 and 8 through 8 again. When these things were in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. But by these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance of the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented, which is the Old Covenant, were still in use. See, only the priests and the Levites were permitted to go into the holy place. Don't think that the temple, or the tabernacle was like the temple where anybody could worship. 
The common folk can go into the outer court where the, where that altar and that, and that labor was, but only the priests can go into the holy place. And they could go in there and they would minister, uh, day after day, but the other people, the other tribes could not. And only the high priest could go into the holy of holies, which was actually God's presence only once a year. See, free entrance into the presence of God was not available to all people in the old covenant. Under that system, people were kept out of God's presence by that veil, that second veil, instead of being led into it. Man, wouldn't that be heartbreaking? Like you're serving God, you want to serve God, but there's only so close you can get to him. There's only so close. Yeah, you can go in the outer court, but you can't go into the holy place. Well, if you're a priest, you can go to the holy place, but you can't go to the holy of holies unless you're the high priest. Isn't that heartbreaking? But now let's look at what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Matthew 27. Come on, some of y'all know where I'm going with this. Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. I'm going to read in the Amplified. This is when Jesus is on the cross, about to die. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud, agonizing voice and gave up his spirit. By the way, technically, they didn't kill Jesus. He gave up his spirit. And look what it says. Voluntarily, sovereignly dismissing and releasing his spirit from his body in submission to his father's plan, which remember that. We'll get back to that in a, in a minute. But watch this. Look at verse 51. And at once, instantly, immediately, the veil of the holy of holies of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split open. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Now, this veil was actually in the temple, the permanent temple, right? This tabernacle we're looking at, it was, again, it was tents and broken up into two tents that traveled around with the children of Israel. When this happened, this was the actual uh, uh, physical building that was built, the temple in Jerusalem. And that veil was torn as soon as Jesus gave up his spirit. He breathed his last, and this is significant. Everything is written in the Bible for a reason. The veil was torn from top to bottom, signifying this was God's doing, not man's. Amen. It wasn't that man had met every requirement. Actually, it was Jesus met every requirement. And now he wants us and we have access into the holy of holies, so to speak. We have access into his presence. Isn't it wonderful to come to church on Sunday morning and worship and experience his presence as we did this morning? Amen. And you get like Pastor Dixie gets a vision and different things are, are, are happening. And not only here at this church, it makes me think. All across this city, our community, in Costa Rica, in Cuba, in Iraq. We got brothers and sisters we get to worship with and enter into the presence of God no matter where we are. Amen. Isn't that such an awesome blessing, right? Hebrews chapter 10, which we'll look at next week, but I want to read these two verses, makes it very clear. He connects Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Yes, we will enter that that heavenly sanctuary one day, but today he's saying because of the blood of Jesus, and I love it, we don't have to enter again just sheepishly, but boldly. Amen? Come on, amen. We We can come into the Lord's presence, and not just on Sunday, every day. Every day, what is the, the, the presence of God is not just about having the free songs, right? If you're not from South Louisiana, that means the chills, the goosebumps. It, I mean, you sense God's presence. That's, I, I'm glad to sense the presence of God. That's awesome. But, but access to God's presence is, is what? Well, we get, to, we get to talk to God. We get to pray and know he hears us, right? You remember, they, the priests had to go in for the people. They had to offer a sacrifice for their own sin and then the sin of the people, Right? 
So we get to talk to God, pray to God. And Austin, what's even greater is that we get to hear God talk to us. Some people still may not know that God wants to speak to you. And he does. God wants to speak to you through his word and by his spirit. So we can come into his presence as we read his word and hear the Holy Spirit talking to us throughout the day. And then, of course, as I said, through worship, right? Man, we get to worship the Lord. And, and even when we don't have it all together and all that, we still have access to the presence of God each and every day. Amen? Come on, this is great news, y'all. Even if I stopped right here today, we got access to God and to his presence because of the power of the blood of Jesus. That veil tore from top to bottom, and now we can all enter in. Amen? Let's continue reading now to the next powerful that's going to show us the next section, next powerful provision through the blood of Jesus. We'll read quite a few scriptures here. Hebrews 9, 11 through 22. It says, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his blood, come on somebody, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial cleansing. I'm sorry, ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. So now he goes from talking about having access to now cleansing our conscience so we can worship God. I would highlight that, focus on that. For the power, of, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they had committed under the first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that that person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after that person dies. While the person who's made, who made it is still alive, they cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. After Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood on the tabernacle and everything used for worship. In fact... According to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So since even in the Old Testament, it was a shadow and point, nearly everything was purified with blood. The number two provision that we have is a clean conscience or a purified conscience, the Bible says. Now listen, there's a lot in those verses I read, and I talked about a lot of these things specifically, even spent whole weeks on some of them. So I'm not going to go through all of them again. Just to recap, uh, we talked about Christ being our, our, our high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. Also being, we talked about him being our mediator of the new covenant and his last will and testament. So we, 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 we talked about all those things. I want to hone in on us being purified, our consciousness being cleared, right? So I want to focus on this today. Verses 13 and 15, again, just so it didn't get lost, I want to go back to it. Under the old system, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's body from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from dead 
uh, from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. But by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. What the writer was doing here, he was arguing from lesser to greater. The logic of his writing is that if something is true in a lesser situation, then it will be even more true in a greater situation. That's what he's telling him here. If the blood of animals had some effect in cleansing, the blood of Christ has much more effect. It's much more effective, should I say. Amen? See, Christ's sacrifice, unlike the sacrifices of the old covenant, removes the paralyzing guilt that keeps us from God by decisively cleansing our conscience from sinful acts. See, guilt paralyzes people. Shame paralyzes people from truly worshiping, or as we're going to see in a little bit, serving Almighty God. That's why a couple of weeks ago when we talked about uh, the, the devil lying, people had the fear of death, all these different things, and we, we had an altar call, and people got ministered to at the altar because I believe the enemy, and in that moment the Holy Spirit quickened me just to stop and say too many people have been being lied to and condemned by the enemy, and this is part of it. Because the Lord's made a way through his blood to clear our consciences, to clean and purify our conscience. But if we don't apply the blood to our lives, we'll continue to walk in condemnation. We'll continue to walk in guilt and shame and not be free to worship. That's why some people have a hard time lifting their hands on Sunday morning to worship because of what they did maybe yesterday. Hey, yes, what you did yesterday, if it was sin, it's sin. We need to call it sin and repent. But because of the blood of Jesus, when you walk in here, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood. And so you're free to worship. You're free to enter into his presence. Amen? Now, let's look at the, uh, I want to show you something, the power. And I, I hit on it in Matthew. Uh, it, it mentions it in the Amplified. Two pow uh, the power of Christ's blood consists of really two things, two elements. One element that gives the blood its power, I, I, as it said in Matthew in the Amplified, is the holy obedience that he showed when he poured out his life and his blood and offered himself to God the Father without spot or blemish. Christ gave up his will to God the Father and yielded his whole life to him. His self-sacrifice was complete and perfect, and his blood was inexpressibly precious in God's sight. What Jesus did was the embodiment of perfect obedience. I stopped in the first service and, and I felt like the Lord just reminded me again. So if, if Christ, we know he was perfect, but, but if his obedience to the Father made the blood more powerful and his life more effective, it makes me wonder how much more effective could we be if we were obedient? Amen? I want you to meditate on that one. For a little bit. If we're fully obedient and fully submitted to the Lord, how much more would he uh, work his power through us and we could be effective in what God's called us to do? Amen? The other element is that the Holy Spirit was in that life-given blood. Verse 14 says that it was through the eternal spirit that Christ offered himself, right? He was empowered himself, even fully God, but as fully man, the Holy Spirit was, was running through his life in that blood as well. You know, a lot of this, this I, I, I was reading up on this from Andrew Murray, the late great theologian. Uh, and I want to quote uh, uh, from him as he talks about these two elements. I want to read you a quote that he said I think is just powerful. It was the word that became flesh, the eternal son of God who was made man. It was the life of God that dwelt in him. That life gave us blood and each drop of it, in, it was of infinite value. The blood of a man is more worth than that of a sheep. 
The blood of a king or a great general is counted as more valuable than hundreds of common soldiers. But the blood of the Son of God, it is in vain the mind seeks for some expression of its value. All we can say that it is his own blood, the precious blood of the Son of God. It was this twofold infinite worth of the blood that gave it such mighty power. First the opening of the grave and then the opening of heaven. I love that. The power of his blood opened the grave for him and us and also opens heaven. And now when that blood from out of the heavenly sanctuary is sprinkled on the conscience by the heavenly high priest, how much more with what an infinitely effectual cleansing will our conscience be cleansed? In other words, you can't describe and fully can't understand the power of the blood of Jesus. I'm doing my best this morning, but there ain't words that all the preachers and theologians that ever lived will be able to fully understand the power of the blood of Jesus. But we can walk and we can receive and we can live and be empowered with a clean conscience if we apply Christ's blood to our life. Because let me speak about this, about the conscience. The conscience doesn't just tell us what we've done wrong. Our conscience also tries to tell us who we are. Because of what we've done wrong, the conscience tries to tell us who we are. It deals with security and identity. A lot of people are walking in insecurity for a lack of a clean conscience. A lot of born-again Christians still don't have their true identity in Christ because of a lack of a clean conscience. And again, I believe it's really tag team with the enemy. I believe he piggybacks by speaking to us through our conscience or what our, maybe our conscience is telling us, right? Our, 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 whatever it is, our brain, our emotions, all of these things that that's made up with, right? But if we're, if we're truly understand and believe and really apply, you apply by faith. We don't have to actually take hyssop branches anymore and put blood on our heads. No, but we can understand it's by faith. In chapter 11, it's all about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. All this is the, called the hall of faith we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, right? So by faith, you can understand if you're a born-again believer, the things you've done in the past, the thing you did yesterday, if you understand and repent. Again, we should never take sin lightly. I think I made that crystal clear, right? Sin, we got to call sin, sin. What the Bible says is sin still is. But first John tells us that when we, we, we sin, we confess our sin and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we apply the blood of Jesus by understanding the word of God, going back to first John, that if we confess and truly repent by faith, he cleanses us. And the enemy tries to bring it back, but it's not God bringing it back. You remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? He remembers our sin no more. It's not that he can't remember it. The fact is that he doesn't look underneath and says, oh, yeah, Blue, you remember you did this two weeks ago? No, he doesn't hold us against it. It doesn't. I don't know. I'm just, you were right there, Blue. I could say Brandon, anybody, right? I'm sorry, Blue. I love you. And so I don't know what Blue did two weeks ago. I'm I'm trying to do it my own self here, right? Right, but he, he what he's saying is, the, 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 I don't charge it against you. Let me reiterate this. The, the account is canceled. It's closed. You can't even pull it up again. That's what he's saying. And if you know that, and you know what First John says about repentance and confession, then you know you could have a clear conscience. You know, even I'm thinking about as this team's going to Costa Rica. I, I just think about, I even, I have a friend, specifically a friend who, who's a believer born again, and we ran together. He has a powerful testimony. And, and, and I don't know, maybe he doesn't feel this way anymore, but for years, 
he didn't want to share his testimony of the, some of the things that he did. A lot of it I did with him. He's like, oh, man, I just don't want people to. I'm like, bro, but that's not you anymore. Your, your, your conscience needs to be clear that that was pre, that was BC, right? It's not the same person. You need to share your testimony and let people know, you know, what you've done. And that way you can have a clear conscience. Here's another thing. When your conscience is clear before God, nobody can hold anything over you. Somebody tried to do that with me. I was witnessing to this guy one time, and he knew that my wife and I had just got married, and uh, uh, just a friend of mine from back in the day, I was having lunch with him, and I, I laid out the gospel I was witnessing to him, and, and just trying to tell him about being saved and forgiven, and he kind of smirked, and he's like, well, does your wife know about this, this, and this? And I'm like, yep, she absolutely does. He's like, oh, she does? And he just kind of laughed it off, but he was trying to hang that over me. I'm like, brother, my conscience is clear with Christ and my wife. Amen. So when you apply the blood of Jesus to your life, right, and you, you be open about before we got married, I told her about my past, I told her about, I had a man, a guy tell me, man, anything you think your wife could find out later, you want to tell her before y'all get married. And I did that, right? And, and she knew, but you know, she knew that was the old Brandon. And I'm going to get to that in a minute uh, about another aspect of the power of the blood of Jesus. Remember, this work could not be done without the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit could not dwell within us if Jesus Christ had not first poured out his blood, Right? See, cleansing of our conscience cannot be done from external ceremonies like they did in the Old Testament or we even try to do, right? It demands the internal power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, the eternal spirit. Now, before I move on from this point, I want to read verse 14 again in the New King James, and I want to just kind of give you a little side note from this. Hebrews 9, 14, New King James says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. Right here, the, the New King James says, to serve the living God, right? So we can worship God, we have access. You know, one of the ways we serve God is by serving others. So I want to remind you, church, I want to, and want to encourage you to partner with us, talking about that, that, that vision that Pastor Dixie had. We're going to have our serve week, July 30th through the 5th. That's coming up in two weeks. Two weeks, we're going to have our, our rally and the launch that day. It's going to officially start. And before the first service, we still needed 178 people to participate, to be able to, 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 to take on all the projects and outreaches that we have. So I just want to encourage you. I know a lot of people have told Pastor Kelly, even my wife, different, like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Listen, if you haven't signed up, I want you to sign up. Not right now. Finish listening to my message first. And after, maybe later, you can pull your phone out, go to the app, talk to your spouse, maybe your life group, friends or something. And I want to encourage you if you haven't already. Look, we did it all week to where you could pick a night or a Saturday or something, because this is all about what Dixie was talking about. Loving on people, showing people that to uproot them from the, 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 the things of the world uh, into glory. Amen. So look, we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus so we can serve him and so we can serve others. Here's another way that you can serve too throughout this week and next week. The Haslings, Alan and Julie Hasling right here, they have the second, well, second year in a row, I think we've done it for serve week. Maybe the third, I forget. Is it the second year? Second year. So they make what's, uh, these blessing bags. You may have seen them in the lobby coming in. I hope there's some left over. Is there? They brought, y'all brought some more too. Good. So these are called blessing bags. And this is a way that you can bless others. It is a blessing bag, but let me make it clear. It's not for you to be blessed with it, okay? You take these blessing bags and keep it in your vehicle. And if you see maybe a homeless person, someone asking for money or something like that, I know everybody has different philosophies about that. But I know this. They found out that homeless people, the number one request is socks. 
So they have socks in here. They have a toothbrush and toothpaste. They have comb and, and soap and different things. But the most important thing is that they put a devotional in there and it, and it, it lays out the gospel in there, right? And so, amen. So we can tend to people's physical needs, but also their spiritual needs as well. Amen. Jesus did that too, right? He fed people, fed the 5,000. He healed people's physical needs, but he also presented the gospel and showed them to wait to eternal life. So I want to encourage you, grab one of these. Just grab one per family or per car, if you, you know, if you don't mind. If we have more left over, we can, you know, but well, I just want to make sure that we have enough. And remember, put this in your car and, and, and it's for someone else. Even if you forget to brush your teeth that morning on your way to work, please don't use it, okay? All right, keep it for somebody else that needs it on the streets or something. But this is another way that you can serve, Amen. So grab one of these, put it in your car, and this is for people that need it, homeless or whatnot. We have a ministry, Helping Hands, that goes out and feeds the homeless every week, and they do a great job. They're leading people to Christ. They're praying for them. They'll be, they'll be doing that same thing on Saturday. So if you'd like to do that, if you want to join up and do something like that, the Saturday of Serve Week, and go hand out meals or pray for people uh, on the streets, that would be a blessing. All right, number three, the power of the blood of Jesus provides the removal of our sins because he died and poured out his blood. We can have our sins not just covered up, but removed. Amen. Hebrews 9, 23 through 26 says, that is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things of heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf, and he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Amen? Not only was it used, uh, uh, blood used for the beginning of the ministry of the Old Covenant, but it was used in the, regulation, the regular administration of the tabernacle service. Under the Old Covenant, peoples uh, and objects were purified by both blood, water, and fire. This was ceremonial purification, and it meant that a person's object, that meant that the person or object were now acceptable before God. But watch this. A purification did not alter the nature of that object. It made it acceptable, but it did not alter that nature. Since God had ordained that the, re the remission of sins is through shedding of blood, since purification comes from the sprinkling of blood, Blood had to be shed and applied for the New Testament to be enforced. The blood of Jesus, church, not only purifies our conscience, but also removes our sins. And see, when it removes our sins, it changes everything. The blood sprinkled on a piece of furniture in the tabernacle did not change the nature of that piece, but it did change the relationship of the nature between, I mean, change the relationship with God. So what am I saying? For us, whenever... The blood of Jesus has been applied. We repent. We get saved. For us, the blood of Jesus removes our sins, changes our nature, and changes our relationship with God. Amen? See, things were acceptable to God, but the nature of it didn't change. That goes back to me sharing our, us sharing our testimony and having a clean conscience. Because guess what? I'm not the same person I was 21 years ago. What does the Bible say? We've become new creations. The inside, we become, we're changed. 
And look, I'm not trying to take shots at any other organizations, but I totally disagree whenever people make a statement like, you know, I'm just use myself. My, you know, after 21 years, I was a drug addict and alcoholic for 10 years. Now I've been saved, cleaned, healed, healthy, whole for 21. And people still say, my name's Brandon and I'm an alcoholic. Well, no, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a saved, redeemed, blood-bought saint of the living God. Amen? So the blood of Jesus changes our nature. It could never do that to the things in the tabernacle, but it does it for us. Changes our nature and our relationship with the Lord and removes our sins. Amen? Not only can it change your relationship with God on here on the earth, but it also can change your relationship with him for all eternity, which is the last thing we see here. Number four, eternal salvation. We get access to the to, to the presence of God. We get a clean conscience, our sins removed, and number four, eternal salvation. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, as we wrap it up, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are waiting, eagerly waiting for him. See, the work of Christ through the blood, is a completed work that is final and eternal. What did Jesus say when he died on the cross? It is finished. It's final and it's eternal. Did you notice that the word appear is used three times in these few verses between Hebrews 24 and 28? Three times we see the word appear are, are coming back. These three uses gives us a summary of the Lord's work. He appeared to take away our sins by dying on the cross, verse 26. He appears now in heaven for us, verse 24. And one day he shall appear again to us to take us all home. Amen? Verse 28. These three tenses of salvation are all based on his finished work. Christ's first coming was to take away the sins of many people. When he will come again, it will not be to deal with our sins, as the Bible says, but will be to bring salvation to all those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly awaiting the Lord? As I close this morning, I want to go back to context and, and, and who this letter was written to, right? Remember, he's written to the, writing to the Hebrew Christians who were, still had the temple that they can see uh, and the priest still in operation, sacrificing all the, the things we were talking about. So after reading this chapter, the Hebrew Christians who received this letter, had to realize that there was no middle ground. They had to make a choice between the earthly or the heavenly, the temporary or the eternal, and the incomplete or the complete. We have to make the same decisions today and realize there's no middle ground when it comes to serving Jesus. I had somebody who had went away from the Lord tell me that one time as the Lord was starting to draw him back. He called and he was asking me some questions. And I said, you know, we talked about Jesus saying, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out. And he, he used his words. He said, I guess I was just trying to figure out if there was some middle ground. And now I realize that there's not. Amen. There's no middle ground when it comes to serving Jesus. You can't have one foot in religion and one foot in relationship. You can't have one, and that's what he was telling them because they were, the Jewish religion is what they were, they were tempted to go back to. And you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God either in serving the Lord. We have to make that same decision that there's no middle ground. And just as there's no middle ground in life, there's also no middle holding place between earth and hell. If, if, if you're not destined for heaven, a lot of us grew up being taught that there was some holding place that, that maybe your mama or your grandmother could pray you out of. 
This verse in verse 27 makes it very clear. And just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes judgment. It's very, very clear. There's no holding place. We got one shot, y'all. One shot to surrender your life to Jesus, to surrender, to repent, and to turn to him. We have to make a decision to serve the Lord before we die. Because if not, there's bad news. We'll spend eternity separated from him. But there's also good news. And it's found in verse 28. So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And remember what I read earlier, last verse, and we're going to pray. Hebrews 9, 12. And with his own blood, we're going to end with the blood. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Yes, amen. He secured it, but now you have to accept it. Have you accepted what the Bible calls the free gift of salvation? It's a gift. We can't do anything to earn it. Nothing at all. But we must receive it. And the way that you receive it, just like any other gift, it's a gift. You didn't work for it. You didn't do nothing. You didn't go pick it up. But you got to receive it. And the way we receive it is there is a condition. You must repent of your sin. And you must turn to him. The Bible says in Romans that we've all sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard. And that the wages of sin, in other words, the penalty, the price of sin is death. We know that word death is an eternal death because the next verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? Even if you watch it online, just out of reverence for the Lord and respect for others. We're all destined to die once. Unless the Lord comes back first, we're all going that way one day. And I, I hope that if you were taught the way I was growing up, that possibly if, if I don't get it right before I die, there's this holding place and people could pray for me. Romans 9, 27 makes it clear. We're destined to die one time. That's it. After that comes judgment. That's the bad news. But the good news it's that Jesus died in you and I's place. This whole message about his blood. He removed our sins. We got, and he, he secured eternal redemption, eternal salvation. If you say, Brandon, if today was that day for me to die, if my destiny to die is today or even tomorrow, I'm not sure where I would spend eternity. I don't know if I'd spend eternity with the Lord in heaven or separated from him in hell. But today, I don't want to leave this building without knowing, or if you're watching online, sitting at LPCC, you say, man, I don't want to go another day without knowing that I'm not right with the Lord. I need to get saved. I want to repent of my sin and be born again. If that's you, just slip up your hand. If that's you, Lord, not even thinking about it. I see your hands over here. Even if you're watching online, I can't see you, but the Lord can. Anybody else? Yes, over here. Yes, amen. Right here to my right. Thank you, Father. Anyone else? Say, that's me. That's me. Anybody else? And you know, every day, every Sunday, I pray for not only you to get saved, but for prodigal sons and daughters. Maybe you say, Brandon, you know what? I was once walking with the Lord. I once got born again, but I went away, and I need to come back and re-surrender my life to the Lord this morning. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. Say, that's me, Brandon. That, that's more where I'm at right now. Come on, if that's you, I see your hand right here, ma'am, in the middle. Anybody else? Other hands going up. Come on, let's pray together. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and that God raised him from the dead. I see your hand, ma'am. You shall be saved. Can we pray together as a church, as a, as, a, as a body, as a family? Lord Jesus, come on, y'all pray this with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pouring out your precious 
and powerful blood for me. Lord, I know that I've sinned and I repent of my sin. I turn to you and I surrender my life to you today. Would you help me, Holy Spirit, to live a life that glorifies God and leads people to him? In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Come on, can we celebrate and rejoice with these this morning? Congratulations, God bless you. If you made that decision, again, it's not the prayer that saves you, it's your faith, your declaration. That's just the beginning. If you pray that prayer and you're just new to the church, jump into next steps uh, with us uh, uh, to, to get connected, get discipled, get into a life group you could serve. Come on, why don't you stand up with me? Fill out a connections card too in the chair in front of you. Bring it to the info center. We got a Bible for you. My wife and I would love to meet you. We'll be up here for prayer if you need. Uh, come on, let's pray. Why don't I get the pastors and the altar workers to come up uh, to, the, to the altar right now? And let's pray. I know for some of you, let's pray through a couple of these. Hopefully we dealt with the last two right here. Removal of sin and eternal life. But what about access to God's presence and a clear conscience? I still believe in sense there's people that, that you think that, again, you can't get into God's presence one day because you messed up the day before. But remember, it goes back to the second point. His blood cleanses us of our evil deeds. He cleanses our conscience, purifies us so we can stand. If you say, Brandon, whatever head by our closing, why don't you just close your eyes and let's just, if that's you, say, man, I've been struggling with a guilty conscience and I, I want to be free of that today. Come on, just lift your hands and let's pray and say, man, I want to have full access. I want to enter into God's presence. Come on, there's hands going up everywhere. Don't be ashamed. A lot of people's hands are going up. Father, I just pray that again, you would break the condemnation of the enemy, Lord God, that the guilty conscience, may they apply the blood by faith today, according to 1 John, Lord God, that we can, when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your blood cleanses our conscience to live for you, to serve you, to worship you, that we can enter your presence, Lord. I pray every single day that, Lord God, they would meditate on the truth and the power of your blood and the provisions that come with it. Father, we thank you for, Lord, sending your Son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being fully obedient to the Father's plan. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us and empowering us to live a life, Lord God, in victory that glorifies you. Bless these as they go today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. We love you. If you need prayer for anything, come on up here. And I'm going to encourage you to sign up for Serve Week as well. We love to partner with you and reach our community. Y'all have a great day and a great week. God bless.